In the stillness, I looked inside and saw the wound laid down within all of us. The wound that comes from believing we are alone amid dead, uncaring nature. And then I took a breath and began to share stories of a time when the world was young, when everyone knew that plants were intelligent and could speak to human beings, a time when it was different. Stephen Buhner, Sacred Plant Medicine. This is Our Numinous Nature, and I'm your host, Philippe. We'll be hearing the profound stories of people with a deep connection to the natural world, from herbalists to hunters, wildlife rehabilitators to trappers, artists to homesteaders. The list goes on. My hope is to thread a needle that weaves together the many nature-related passions through stories of reverence. In nature, I've found meaning, a richness for life that grows with each new day. Maybe you feel the same. Or maybe you long to. That quote was provided by today's guest, Joanne Bauman, who is a community herbalist and a yarb woman. You'll hear more about that. I love that term. So this is the fourth stop on our podcasting road trip as we were headed to Denver. The episode before, we were in the wooded Missouri Ozarks speaking with a sheriff and fur buyer and trapper, and he kind of told us a little bit about what his lifestyle is like, and we kind of heard about a bit about what being a sheriff in a rural area is like. So the next stop on the road trip is with a fossil hunter, a self-taught paleontologist and fossil hunter in the Kansas chalk beds. But I'm actually going to pause on the road trip for a Halloween special. And I had found an incredible folklorist uh, to speak on, um, you know, Appalachian witchcraft and superstition and plant lore and ghost stories and hopefully like mysterious animal stories. Um, But turns out she can't actually do it in the time window for Halloween. So we'll be talking to her later on, maybe even into 2021, but she's trying to help me find another guest to do a Halloween storytelling episode. So cross your fingers for me and for us so that we have a good one. So today we are in Joanne's backyard and um, she lives in the suburbs in Topeka, Kansas. So we haven't quite busted out into the big great plains. It's still quite wooded but she's in the suburbs of the city of uh, Topeka. And her house is surrounded by her herb garden, which is, which is you know, small, but beautiful. And, you know, out front, she had black cohosh and golden seal and sage growing up in front of her house. Around the side, she had echinacea. She had Cherokee sweet mint and skullcap. Uh, those two I'm not too familiar with, but and peppermint and yarrow. And over in the backyard, comfrey and mullen and vervain and a huge, two huge elderberry bushes, which were popping off with berries while I was there, and a big, huge elm stump from a tree that was there um, when she first moved in. So it was really cool to record in the backyard, really in her um, herbal environment. She has a really awesome podcast called Heirlooms and Herbals, 
which is an affiliation in which is in affiliation with Mother Earth News Network. And on that podcast, I really enjoy it because each episode, it's only about 20, 30 minutes long. It just picks one plant and then she goes through everything about it from folklore and traditional uses to how to plant it and how to use it today and how to make your own medicine. So I really am enjoying that one to learn a lot about certain plants like mullein or elderberry or yarrow. And um, if you want to learn more about Joanne, you can check out her website, which is prairiemagicherbals.com. Now, before we get into this interview, which I found quite powerful, and she tells a story about um, healing ancestral trauma and healing the trauma of a land that I found incredibly moving. But uh, before we get in the podcast, there was something I wanted to kind of tell you about Joanne that I found was incredibly important to better understand who this human being is. And I'm starting to learn that this podcast is not so much about talking about plants or animals, but I really feel like I'm trying to just get to the soul of a person. And they're people that do have a relationship to nature, but it's more that I'm interested in who the person is. And I felt as though to give you a better, uh, full appreciation for who Joanne is, that I had to add something in this intro. So I wanted to call her up because I didn't know if this would be a um, sensitive subject. But we talked for about maybe 40 minutes on the phone. It's actually a very powerful conversation. And I thank her for giving me permission. But I wanted to say that Joanne has had uh, rheumatoid arthritis for her whole life. And um, she hasn't been able to walk since she was I think she said, you know, middle school, high school, and she hasn't been able to drive for years now. And she actually has, you know, a caretaker. I actually believe she has two that will help her out um, just with daily uh, activities, um, help her with, and her friends help her out with her errands. And you'll hear in the podcast talk about camping and even foraging and her, her friends will come help her. And the reason I wanted to bring this up for the podcast was because um, she didn't bring it up at all. And I thought there was something quite um, moving that what visually looks like such an impairment that Joanne by no means acts like a defeated person. Joanne, you'll hear throughout this podcast, is an incredibly strong person and, and an incredibly um, passionate person and an incredibly alive person. And so I found that really, um, something to take note of that she has all the excuses in the world to, um, you know, be down on life. And yet she's the complete opposite. And she even told me about how, when she was younger, that doctors kind of wanted to test out different ways to quote unquote fix her. They even thought that they might try to fuse her legs together at the knees and at the waist, kind of making her into almost like a mannequin is the word that she used. And fortunately her father, who is a pharmacist, who you'll hear about uh, later on in the podcast, um, she's very thankful that he was there to kind of, um, kind of say no to this experimenting with his daughter 
And she told me about how uh, she treats the pain even today with her own medicine. And I thought that was really beautiful that she has made tinctures with her own nettle, her own St. John's wort, and meadow sweet, though she says she doesn't use meadow sweet as much anymore. But she's used those tinctures to heal her own pain um, internally. And then she says she even used CBD topically on a lot of on a lot of those, um, I guess, the, where the, the pain is in those joints. Because the rheumatoid, rheumatoid arthritis, it's uh, inflammation across her whole body. And something that I definitely would not have said on this podcast or even to her if she didn't kind of bring it up for me was that she kind of was alluding to the fact that perhaps this has been her fate and that um, this makes her, perhaps this makes her more powerful of a healer, this um, you know trial that she has had to go through in this life with her body. And I immediately was like, you know what? That's exactly how I felt speaking with you. I felt as though that I was speaking with like a seer and um, speaking with someone with very powerful, intuitive and psychic um, abilities. And perhaps um, because the body isn't as strong, those other functions of one's soul or one's being are stronger. And I really felt, I really could feel that in her. So um, I hope you'll enjoy today's podcast. I loved it. I am really enjoying meeting all these people and making new friends and having um, meaningful discussions with people where I get to learn more about their lifestyle and about, you know, plants, animals, and hopefully the human soul. I like to say I'm herbalist, if that title fits, community herbalist. I serve my people, my students in this area, family. Um, I also like to say, you know, some people will see me out and say, hey, it's the medicine woman. And oh, wow. I don't, I don't always view plants as medicine because that kind of implies a pharmacology, hmm. um, a different view of medicine than uh, plants often are. And then I have the old title in the Appalachian Hills uh, was Yarb Woman. Yarb? Yarb, Y-A-R-B. Oh, Yarb I love that woman. so much. So, Yarb Woman. A Yarb Woman. So what does that word mean? Um, yarbs, uh, like the old English wart. So we have St. John's wart. Of course, mother wart. Right, right. Mugwort. Right. So the wart was the old English term for a plant. Oh, I had no idea. Herb. So a yarb woman um, was just one who worked with plants and roots and I love that shoots so and much. berries and I love that so, so much. I still like to incorporate that in, you know, whether you're I love that so much. And and green witch, you know, one who works with plants. And well, yarb woman is far cooler and, than green so, witch. Yeah, yarb a yarb woman. So wart cunners, that's another neat what? old term. A wart cunner. Wart, wart cunner. being the plant. Wow. So a wart cunner was one who knew the knowledge of the plants and medicinals. and. This is my favorite thing, and this is why I'm excited for this podcast, because <laughs> you have a really, really cool, cool podcast on uh, Mother Earth News, where right. each episode for about 30, 40 minutes, you do a deep dive on, you pick one plant. Correct. And then yeah. you start 
um, by talking about where did the name come from, what are the folk legends, anything we know about the plant, historical and then uses, how, and then how we use it, and right. then you get into uh, how to plant it, how to use it. it right. They're so cool. Your mullen episode, you. your elderberry episode, so cool. And, and we try to kind of pick plants that uh, are familiar to people, mm. but then also you can always learn a little bit more. You can go a little deeper and drawing on whether it's just the physical uses. But so often, you know, one of my favorite things to teach is the emotional, the energetic, the psychological aspects of plants or plant spirit healing as uh, or plant language, as we call that. And so plants do more than just the physical. There's a lot of aspects of working with plants. Um, and shaman have done that for centuries, working with plants in terms of it may not be something that you take internally. It may be uh, spiritual bathing. It may be wearing a medicine pouch. Or it may be creating a room spray to spray around or dream pillows are one thing that a lot of people are familiar with. So there's a lot of ways. What's the dream pillow? Like putting um, mugwort under right. your pillow or something? Mugwort, rosemary can go in a dream pillow. Um, things that can also help relax you. So you could put lemon balm mm. or um, passion flower in a dream pillow. Could be roses, something that's relaxing um, to that person. Um, sometimes even putting a little uh, sweet grass over the bed of a child that has nightmares. That's mm. something that we've been doing. So um, many different ways that you can use plants besides I take this tincture or I take this um, oil and apply it topically or a salve. And a lot of times my um, aspect of all of that, what my goal is in kind of being voice for the plants is to let people know that there's different ways to use and and work with the spirit of the plants healing and to do that in a way where you're really connected to the plants themselves because a lot of people talk to me and they say, well, you know, wow, that's what the plant looks like because I've only ordered nettles or I've only ordered um, skullcap or I've never seen elderberries. I've never seen yarrow growing in the wild. Um, yeah, th that's huge, and that's something that I found. I didn't quite, I didn't quite realize that some people were perhaps missing that step. Right. You know, it's really neat to see my mom, who's big time with her garden and grow, right. and she grows all of her own herbs, right. and she's doing, she's making her tinctures and exactly with her with her stuff. And then for me, I you know being an extreme novice, I'm doing stuff just from what I'm seeing on the, on the woods sure. in the woods. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I couldn't imagine doing this without that initial step of the plant ID and seeing where it grows. And, and just having a relationship with mm -hmm. it. You know, I can watch it over the seasons. I can see how weather changes things, how global warming changes. Well, that's a great point right there. Because for someone like me, you go buy the guidebook, but then the guidebook's picture is for the plant in one season. Right. Right, like the ramp looks right. completely different when that little flower comes up. Right. Like, I had no idea that that's the same thing as these two leaves or three leaves that right. are or, for food. Or if you saw a picture of, um, let's take, you know, just elderberry again. Mm. If you see it oh my God, yeah. in a book, well, then when it has this like, creamy white flowers you would, early in the season, no and then berries later in the year, and a lot of people 
have confused elderberry with poke. Oh, and, yeah, that's pretty freaky. Uh, yeah, I've even seen... Don't make a poke, poke syrup. Right. I've seen at a farmer's market oh my uh, God. a bag that somebody had labeled elderberries, and I, had, oh I was like my. telling you politely, uh, those are not elderberries. Oh, so, man. Yeah, and, and even elder. Our elders in Kansas used to come ripe enough to pick the berries in mid-September. Hmm. And we're sitting here in August. And then we're looking at unbelievable clusters. We're looking at uh, some ripe and some still a little on the red side. But it's going to be like the next week or two that all of them will be ready. So we're about a month earlier. Um, okay. Well, something I found extremely interesting was about your ancestry. And I was looking at your... at uh, So your... Um, herbal practice is called Prairie Magic Herbs. Yes, Prairie so, Magic Herbals. Herbals. Yeah. And so I was on your website and I was looking uh-huh, at your great. little bio and you're talking about your ancestry, which sounds incredibly interesting. You're saying you had a, a Lakota, Oglala, a, a Lakota uh-huh. uh, medicine Lakota. woman in your family. That's, that's on my, my mother's father. And this goes back to when immigrants came. And the records that I have been able to research and find my grandfather's name was Ellingham, his last name. Hmm. He was very uh, dark-eyed, dark-haired, uh, olive-toned kind of skin, mm-hmm. like my skin is. And so, not English-looking at all. Hmm. And going back in that line, there are Italian names, and that varies depending on who came off the boat and, mm-hmm. and who wrote what your name was. So it could either be written as Mezzarol with an R-O-L-L or Mesarol with an R-O-L-E. So two different ways. But back in that Italian ancestry, at one point I was aware that um, my Lakota ancestor was a woman and I was told they did not know even how to pronounce her name, that they Mm. only knew her as E. Mm. And so in looking back through Ancestry.com and some other genealogical records of the Meserol family, there is a Meserol three generations back, and it it was married to a person listed only as E. Mm. So I'm pretty sure that that's who they were talking about at that time. The story is that E was very familiar with herbs and plants, and someone in the family had gotten sick and ill, and she knew what to do at that time to treat whatever that illness had been. And so I feel like um, my connection when I'm working with plants a lot— Where was this? Do you know? um, They were all from the— Upstate New York area okay. and, and also Ohio. Okay. So kind of it would have been more like an an eastern okay. U.S. Mm-hmm. And then um, the rest of my mother's ancestry is Appalachian, and that's more the northern Appalachian range as well. So my mother grew up in um, Ohio, mm-hmm. So and then they moved here. With her father worked for the railroad, 
And so that side of the family, my, my Appalachian ancestors as well, uh, were used to being folk healers and you know going in the mountains and going what they called singing or, or ginseng and also you know what other medicine plants that they would have utilized and just knew how to take care of things and you and I were discussing you know that was kind of the tradition still is you know 85 to 90 percent of the world people, know what's growing near and around them mm-hmm. that they can utilize for medicine. And that's one aspect of healing that, sadly, a lot of people are not connected with anymore. Um, how how different would the world be if we wrote prescriptions for what you should grow mm. or have growing around you instead of pills or something pharmaceutical and not that can you imagine that you go yeah. in there and they, and they they give you a plant to go home and, and sure. put in your yard yeah Wouldn't this is what you un- need that in itself sounds like a very healing yeah. experience yeah oh you have you have tension you carry your tension in your neck and shoulders here take a vervain home grow it make essence with it or medicine with this and that will help you oh you have asthma well maybe it's mullen maybe mm. it's Butterfly weed, maybe it's all the campaign that you need to have around you. And that's how Plains, um, Native Americans, the, the tribes, that's how many people still on the planet have that relationship with plants. They know their aspects, they know their properties, um, like you would close friends, mm. what their uniqueness is, what they're good at, and they know how to utilize that. And now, you know, if you think about going out on the prairie and finding even, you know, in somebody's backyard, the common plants, plantain, violets, chickweed, things like that, mm-hmm. people in cities, people are, are disconnected from that and are relying more on things like pharmacies, hospitals, mm-hmm. doctors. That really doesn't leave the power with you and any kind of connection to earth. Mm, I love that. That, yes, that you, yeah, the power to heal yourself is just how profound that is. Right. Very, very enhancing. And most people um, have to rely, well, you know, I have something going on. Even if it's, I have a sore throat, something pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you have a sore throat, you can't say, well, what do I have that I can, I have rose hips. I can, mm. I can make a rose hip syrup. That will help it mm. a little bit. Or I have sage. I can gargle with sage. Mm. Or, you know, instead it's, I have a sore throat. I guess I should go to the doctor and. He'll solve all my problems. Yeah, he'll she, solve. He yeah, she'll you, you give up your power problems. doing that. Yeah, that's fascinating. I've never thought about that. Yeah, it's not, plants um, are medicine of the people. Mm. They're people's medicine. Mm. And in that sense, and that relationship, that earth walk, that's always resonated for me. And I look at that not not just for my Appalachian ancestors, but I think that's very much that Lakota ancestry because everything has spirit. You know, Mm. the earth has spirit, stones, water, um, the plants, the roots. Mm Animals, you know, what they say, the winged, the two-leggeds, the four-leggeds, we're all... 
I mean, it's in modern days. I've talked about this on one of the other podcasts yeah. that you, I guess we call that animism is like the best way to talk right, about right. Um, this kind of uh, belief that sure. there's spirit imbued sure. in everything. Sure. And I mean, I have a friend who, before he goes canoeing on water, will take time to sit, reflect, and ask the water, hmm. you know, should I, should I go canoeing on you today? God, I Should love I that. kayak? And very rarely, you know, he'll get a no. He was in Oregon several years ago and sat, you know, touched the water. You know, should I go canoeing today? No. And it was like a very loud no. Uh, he stayed off the water. And sadly, you know, two kayakers flipped and could not get upright and had drowned that day on the oh water. Oh, my God. So well, That kind of gave me chills. Yeah. I mean, it's— See, you, and but here's the thing. To know— to listen to that. Right. Because what just popped up in my head, there was a morning this past turkey season mm-hmm. where I was heading out to the National Forest to try to hunt for turkeys. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm tired. I'm driving at like 3.30 in the morning. Oh, gosh. And right. something right. flashed in front of the car. Oh. And it was a little screech owl. And I hit it. And I was like, you know, you see dead owls right. on the side of the road all the time. But I was right. like, well, I just want to get to this place and start my turkey hunt. Right. And then, but then the other voice is like, Hey, asshole, turn around. <laughs> and if and that see. animal is injured, your day is not turkey hunting anymore. Now you're going right. to be taking this animal to a wildlife rehabilitation center. Right. Or, so, or honoring the life that it gave. Correct. You know? And I turned around. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it, it was just out. It was dead on the side of the sure. road. But just to know, to listen to that yes or no from things, right. because obviously your ego is like, well, I want to do this. Right. I drove three hours to go canoeing. I want to go canoeing. Right. And then right. to hear the to hear no and then oh and to hear that maybe you need to wait till tomorrow. Mm. And sometimes plants are the same way. You know, if you're out um, doing some ethical wild crafting, or, you know, if there's something that you don't grow, um, and you're out to honor, as I've been taught as an herbalist, to honor the grandfathers and the grandmothers. So the larger plants we make an offering to. That can be. Uh, for some people, it's cornmeal or tobacco or sage. Uh, if you don't have any of that on you, it can be pulling out, you know, a little bit of your hair and leaving that. You're giving something. Okay, describe this process. In return. You would take a little bit of plant or your hair and you just place it at the foot of this plant? At, usually the larger plants that grow higher up on the hill, okay. say, around here if I go out on the prairie. And I would usually take some bottled water. And um, I put together, for for me, tobacco, native tobacco, mm-hmm. and sage. And sometimes I'll put in some sweet grass that I grow. Um, sometimes it may be, uh, it depends on what I have plenty of, but I'll put together like what I call a little harvesting bag. And mm. that I can sprinkle and offer that to what I see as the elders or the grandmother or grandfather of the plant. And usually the younger plants grow lower, coming down toward the road Hmm. as a description. So the larger plants, there may be two huge mullins at the top of the hill. There's some, you know, babies beginning at the bottom. Hmm. Um, Depends on if I'm looking for leaves or, and with rain, you can have a lot of large plants, but um, I usually will try to offer something to what I see as the elders or the ancestors. And sometimes that can be um, burning a little smudge offering or putting the plants um, and offering that way. And I tell my students, 
Well, what if you don't have that? Well, you can offer them something else of you. That can even be singing a song to them. Mm. Um, that can be drawing drawing a picture and and leaving it with them. You know, like a little, just a little quick mm. sketch or I something. Love this a little so heart, much. a little heart or something. Sometimes I know people carry stones, you know, agates, or they might carry a, a piece of um, something green, moss agate, or something that is reflective of nature. Hmm. They might leave a stone. Um, a piece of, you know, if nothing else, you know, pull a little hair out and, and offer that. That's giving something of you for what the plant is going to give in return. How might someone, how might a hunter do the, or a fisherman do this towards the animals? Sure, exactly. How and, might they do it? Because obviously you're not walking up to the animal and doing that. Right, do you just give it right. to the land? Sure. Okay. Yeah, and do it do it in the animal's name. Mm. Um, you know, Native Americans, again, when they went to hunt buffalo, and, you know, we used to have, I think the number that was given at one time was like, there were 60 million buffalo roaming mm. the plains. Mm. And... Then it went down to 600 because of mostly white white men, buffalo hunters yeah, going hunters. out. Yeah, to get mm-hmm. the hide, leaving the buffalo. Mm-hmm. And Native Americans used every single part of, they used the hide, they used the bone, they used not only just the meat, and but to kill something and leave, take the hide and leave the meat and everything to rot is very offensive. Mm-hmm. And so if you're hunting... And you go out with the intention of, you know, I, I need a, a turkey, mm-hmm. you know, for food. And asking turkey mm. as a, a totem or a uh, spirit, you know, turkey come to me mm. um, and ask for the right turkey or the right deer to come to you. And then um, when that taking of an animal's life happens just like the taking of a, a plant, giving thanks and honoring it, you've given your life for me so that I can incorporate you. And at some time, you know, when we pass on, we become food back for the earth, essentially. Yeah, I can't, you know? I can't wait to get eaten up. Yeah, it's I, like, I would love for little raccoons and stuff to just be chewing know? at me. Yeah, I hope like, I, get, I hope I do get tossed in the woods down down in the earth or or in whatever form you we know? do. So you know there are some stuff you don't end up using all the bowels and sure, all the guts. Sure, and we put them by our cabin. We just wa- I walk, you know, a few minutes into the woods and I put yeah. I always put them in the same oak tree at the bottom, like a sacrificial oh, tree. Exactly, and. <clears throat> Yeah. Then you have all these critters that come through. Yeah. You know, you hear the foxes back there, sure. like you know, uh, cackling yeah. and yeah. making their little rattle. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like I love that. Yeah, they're like woohoo. Yeah, exactly. They get a little a, and better than meals on wheels. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, well, okay. Transitioning a little bit. Um, well, because I'm. And I think a lot of people I know, they're kind of in the Appalachia area. So mm-hmm. tell us about some of the special plants that are going to be here. In, well, we're, has the prairie started? It still looks pretty wooded from the highway. Yeah. It, um, is it about to start? Or a, is this it? A lot of... August is kind of not the greatest time to come through. Usually, if you want to come through earlier spring and June, even early July... 
August is kind of the time when, when the between time, really. Mm. Um, you might start to find some goldenrod blooming out there this time of year. Sumac uh, kind of reached its peak about a week ago. Okay. So this is kind of a, a now, little rest before fall. Are there, there are a ton of different goldenrods. Is that correct? Right. Okay. Yeah, we have at least seven or eight. Okay. In Kansas, so. And yeah. there are special ones to hear that that I might not have over in, in Virginia and in um, the Appalachia? We, we've got showy goldenrod. We have in Missouri that you came through Missouri. We have mm-hmm. Missouri goldenrod. And we have canadensis, which I like because it's the bigger plume, which is a little easier in terms of harvesting. I've actually got one growing in the back, mm. the big, big tall in the middle of the food garden. Decided it was going to... It was going to um, mm. grow there. It's not blooming yet, but um, and they all taste. There's a, a difference in taste to some of them. Some of the leaves and the tops. Some are sweeter. Some are more pungent. Some are more um, crisp in taste. Mm. So usually, um, the herbalist Matthew Wood and kind of like with Menarda will say sample and find what one. If you think one is more astringent to dry up post-nasal drip, or if one seems like it's going to be more helpful for cough or sinus issues, allergy-type things. So, And are you making those decisions from experience and intuition? Taste? Yeah, both. I mean, you have to have your knowledge with intuition, mm-hmm. but some of that is, is learning tasting plants. Mm. And then also... Working with that plant over time, you will learn to um, detect subtle differences. And wow, this one, you know, I tasted this um, even sweetly for Menarda. Our native Menarda on this eastern third of Kansas is Fistulosa. It's the lavender-colored Menarda. On the east coast, you tend to have um, more the red red-colored Menarda. I always think of it as a fire, familiar with that firecracker plant. plant because around here it grows and it tends to bloom around 4th of July. Hmm. And the blossom bursts open kind of like somebody on a bad hair day. Hmm. You know, it's just everywhere. Um, the western half of Kansas. What are the other, are there other names? Sweetleaf. Sweetleaf, okay. Bee balm. Oh, oh, we've got in the backyard. Yeah. We've got, I've got a red one. Red, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. They're so yeah. beautiful. Yeah, Oswego sometime, red Oswego. Yeah, because you said the firework, and I was like, okay, yeah. I, now yeah. I'm connecting. I think yeah. I have this plant right in the backyard. Yeah. I didn't know the other names sure. for it. Sure, yeah. Yeah, oh, they look yeah. crazy, or like crazy hair or yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Those it's are like beautiful. it just explodes. and Firecrackers, that's a great way to think about it. They look like firecrackers, yes. and so around here, they're always blooming around 4th of July. So yours are what color here? Purple. Light, Purple, kind of okay. lavender. Purple. Okay, okay. Um, and on the western half of Kansas, they have um, more of like a spotted. It's it's white. The bloom is white. Okay. And so even within a state, we have a little variance in terrain from one part to the next. And okay. Western Kansas, a lot of people think Kansas is just all flat. Right. Uh, and if you go, I've more, never been here before. So we- yeah, more the eastern, even Lawrence over. And then if you go up toward Atchison, you're getting up more into 
um, not mountains, obviously, but very hilly terrain. It's all it's all wooded thus right yeah. thus far, just from our right. coming from the Ozarks in Missouri right. to over here, where it's still wooded. Right. Right. We have not busted into the big grasslands yet. Right. And probably if you head west today, you're going to get into areas where it gets more, it's agriculture, but it's more flat mm. and open expanses and full prairie skies. And hopefully you'll get a chance to get to the tall grass prairie. Yeah, and, that's our plan. I know they've got yeah. some buffalo over there to yes. check out. Without, we brought yes. binoculars. Good. Um, yes. Uh, were there some other prairie plants that you wanted to tell us about? Um, a, a lot of things. We have vervains that grow, roses. Like I said, we have prairie rose, okay, which is um, more available, you know, for the general population than the rugosas that I have um, have bigger rose hips. So that's partly why I, I use those. Um, elderberry, you know, grows pretty much wild through the state, and the sweet leaf, the the bee balm, I prefer to call it sweet leaf than Monarda. Um, but that in in different stages I use medicinally as well. And New Jersey tea we have. What's the medicinal on, on the bee balm? On bee balm? Oh, gosh, I do all kinds of things. I make a tincture with it. Mm-hmm. And I do an infused oil with that. And then sometimes I'll add... Uh, ginger in that or some mugwort. It makes a nice topical oil okay. for pelvic issues or menstrual okay. pain oh, interesting. for women. Um, Monarda is one, or the sweet leaf, is one that you can use. Um, you've probably heard people saying oil of oregano. Mm-hmm. Get oil of oregano. Monarda or, or sweet leaf can do everything oil of oregano can, and you can grow it. And you can have it right there like you do, mm-hmm. which is the accessible. The past tenants put it there. Exactly, mm-hmm. but you know, yeah, um, it's a good. Um, I, I like to think of it. Matt Wood described it as something that draws heat out. Mm. So if that's inflammation, mm. it might be um, urinary infection. It might be any other kind of inflammation. Topically, you can also do that to pull out burns and sprains and things like that. One thing um, that Matt shared. In the Native American tradition, we think of sometimes Western medicine as cooling a burn. So you want to put something on it to cool a yes. burn. And the theory in among some of the Native people is that that, by cooling it, you set it in deeper. Mm. So what they want to do sometimes is use a warming plant like Sweetleaf mm. to draw the heat out. Mm. Um, and like then, cures like? Right. So um, I yeah that so I every week I talk to a um, homeopathy. Yeah, yeah, I talk to a uh-huh. Jungian analyst, and yes. he's big into homeopathy. So he tells me little things right. about it. I, I know very little, but it's that that right. whole concept exactly. of like cures like. Right, and sometimes we see that in the plant world too, with doctor, doctrine of signatures, and maybe like curing light, kind of. He, like, so I've had other guests. Um, mm-hmm. talk about the doctrine of signatures. But if there's people listening who don't know anything about herbalism, can you describe what that is? Because it's super cool. Yeah, doctrine of signatures takes a look at what a plant's appearance looks like. And that may be things like where it grows. So if we have a gravel root out on the prairie, and it's obviously growing in really bad soil, and it's growing maybe in a very gravelly area, so, with Doctrine of Signatures, 
one thing that might tell us is it's breaking through that gravel to grow. And so that might help with things in our body like kidney stones, gravel. Mm. So where something grows may be one indication. A plant's color may be another. So, for instance, in general, we could say plants that are white tend to affect the lungs or mucus. But then you can't take that in isolation because there are plants that are white, like poison hemlock. (laughs) And, you know, yes, that might help your lungs, but um, too much so that it's toxic. So you can't really take one thing in isolation. But um, even elder, you know, looking over there, and we're looking at the umbrals and how there's so many individual stems that when the blossoms are white— And hanging from there, it looks like your bronchioles. Yes, and your lungs. Right. So cool. So in a lot of ways, there are plants that may look similar to what you're treating. As in look like a certain body part or an organ, right? Right. I mean, for instance, if if you take a violet leaf and it's heart-shaped, and I've asked people, you know, what in your body is truly heart-shaped? Your heart isn't really heart-shaped. No. The one area of the body that is heart-shaped is the pelvic area. Oh, So yes, okay. Violet leaf, one thing that that can be really useful for is women's issues around the pelvic region. Mm. So sometimes, you know, and again, not in isolation, but a lot of times looking at a plant can give us an indication. Where does it grow? What does it look like? Um, maybe how that differs in seasons. And then you can get even into uh, a blue plant, like skullcap when it blooms, kind of a blue-purple. And that may be a plant that would, besides helping someone sleep, um, insomnia, um, because it is blue, and that's kind of a throat chakra area, voice and expression, and being able to express yourself something like a an essence or carrying a little bit of skullcap on someone may be able to help them express themselves, say things that they felt like they couldn't say, be a little more confident hmm. in sharing in a meeting uh, or something along those lines. So, yeah. Um, so before we get in, I wanted to ask you for a reverential story. Great. About nature. Maybe before we get into that, though, because I do have some other cool stuff I want to ask you about. Okay. Um, the one, the thing I loved, so, j- this is just for me personally, because I, I guess, as a young man, still a young man, I guess, I, I haven't yet have enough uh, medicinal issues, thankfully, to really be like dive headfirst into herbalism. Right. And I'm still just learning in bits and pieces sure. from my mom and just the, sure. the folks I follow. Great. But um, so what... For in in the herbal world, what really is fascinating to me, what you do in your podcast, is talking about those traditional uses and the folklore about plants. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's and, interesting. And so it's, if there were any colors. of those that you wanted to share, I know you talked in your podcast about mullein and how the stalks would be used as torches right. in, in ancient Rome, right. in, in ancient Greece. Anci- ancient cultures. Oh. Uh, a lot of times, because mullein is upright, and very erect in its appearance. Mm-hmm. Once it has done its blooming, 
and you see those, uh, what looks like a candle wick standing there. Totally, a a giant candle wick. Right. So a lot of times what they would do, they also called it hag's taper, Mm. like a taper candle. Mm. And so a lot of times they would dip it in an oil or, you know, it could be animal fat or tallow or something like that and light it on fire. And they were processional torches. That is so cool. I've got to try that. Yeah. Back in the days, you know, you didn't have access to tiki torches and can you so, imagine, like two thousand right. years ago, someone going into right. like a cave with like yeah. a burning stock of right. melon in in in, in right. uh, or fat. doing um, you know Stonehenge or walking around mm. doing a ritual in the woods? And right. I guess it doesn't it it doesn't burn up and dry out too fast. No, it'll burn for quite a while, which so is another cool. reason why. And you know, there's all kinds of plants that have been relied on for years in in that way. And again, you know, because we're sitting here looking at the elders, elders has just tons of folklore to it. Did did it's you a say fairy in plant and mother elder is what it's mother elder, in the folklore? Right. right. Okay. Elder Eldemar, our mother elder. And elder in a garden such as here tends to lend medicinal power to anything else that grows around it. Hmm. as well as lend protection to the home, like Grandfather Elm. That's hmm. why Grandfather Elm trunk is still here, still giving its energy. Elder, um, traditionally, it's it's a very healing bush, right? you know, tree yeah. is elder, what they call. Is there and, a word for that? Because it's not really a bush and it's not really a tree. Yeah, it's more... more um, Shrub-like, these, Shrub. I, you know, it's hard mm. to describe these because they're, what, over probably 10, it's huge. 11 feet tall. Oh, yeah. And they've just gotten crazy. But um, a lot of lore with Elder, with the fairy realm around summer solstice, when the f- blossoms are there, mm. and, um, you know, there's a whole sleeping under the Elder tree on Midsummer Eve will connect you with the fairy realm mm. and Elder... Uh, was a Waldgeister, is what a nature spirit mm. dwells in That's elder. That's what that word means. That helps one learn the use of medicinal plants and healing. Oh my so, God. Um, elder's I love that. one of the first plants that I spent a lot of time just sitting with and talking grandmother elder. And Did I hear you say on your podcast that you have seen like blue lights around I elder? have. Can, it, you what know, is that about? And, and I wasn't smoking anything and yeah. I wasn't imbibing. And at certain times of the year, like around midsummer, I like to give an offering. And then I usually do in fall after we take berries and make syrup with the berries and, and tinctures and do other things. But it's important to me to give back to Elder because she lends so much to so many people throughout the year. But one night, toward midsummer, um, we had made an offering, and I usually will hang uh, ribbons and bells and things as part of that offering. And it was really You'll hang quiet. Them from the, from branches, the branches, right? And um, it was really quiet, and they were not fireflies, but they were just like little little blue dot, you know, little blue dots that were in the bush for just maybe. I, I don't know, two or three minutes, hmm. having a clue where they came from. Hmm. And when I was out camping on the prairie, um, I do that uh, frequently too to just connect more with the plants that are out 
and we were near a lake. And again, there was a little light that those elders are kind of in the, what we call the draw of the lake. So kind of a cove area. And a couple of little lights went across the water and just disappeared. Hmm. And again, I I don't know of anything. Across the top of the water? Yeah. Hmm. That would be blue in the night. But so there's been a few. What do you make of that? I, to me, you know, and, and I tell people that I think when you're in tune with nature, when you're growing with the earth, that I have no doubt, you know, whether it's seen or unseen, that there are um, nature spirits and plant spirits that work in this yard to and on the prairies and everywhere to make a healing, you know, whatever kind, physical healing, uh, spiritual healing that people need, I know they're tending, and the plants have that energy themselves. Hmm. And so I think when plants are grown in that kind of um, belief or attitude, that that medicine really um, has a tenacity and a spirit that gets transmitted into its healing. And I know Hmm. um, Deb Soleil, I don't know if you know Deb. She's an herbalist in Maine and her um, Avena Botanicals. And all of her growing in her garden is done with moon phases. And Mm. so I think she's kind of, yeah. And rosemary, you know, a Mm -hmm. lot of the herbalists have grown very much in tune with the earth and nature. And Um, well, I'm just from the first half of this conversation. From now on, because I've done little bits and bits and bobs of foraging. Yeah. Um, from now on, I'm going to be doing the little offering because yeah. I've never done that. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know I know some of the other more technical rules only take right. a third or less. Right. But right. So, if but you're, the, if off, you're the spiritual element, the, right. the offering. I love exactly. that. Exactly. And it's you know it's slowing down, and that's the thing. World is so busy and busy, 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 busy. That's one thing you know. Maybe COVID is is allowing. That's slowing down too. People getting to spend more time, um, and not things being as hectic, and so that—that's what I was hoping for. I, I'm not right. quite certain how it's playing out. My hope was that um, I was very much an, an um, extrovert, mm-hmm. um, you know, just going out and partying hard and always being with my friends in college until right. 24 um, got an ailment. From right. being such a wild guy, yeah, and then that kind of turned me into an introvert because mm-hmm. I was forced into it. Right, I couldn't really go out as much, and I, you know, and right. Um, then I found all this, this how much I loved being with myself, right, and uh, you know, working on that's, my artwork and working on gift. music, and I was, I was hoping that might be happening. You know, to an to an extrovert, this COVID thing and quarantine must be a fucking torture. Yeah, but. Hope, but right. I wonder if in that you can find that that love of your of being with yourself and then all of your right. potential to pursue what you really love. You don't have the, you know, this break. Right. That's what I was hoping right. for. And I think, I, you know, the other thing I look at it as, because I see people around town even, being able to spend more time out at the lake in the gardens mm-hmm. or at the park in the gardens. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, part of it is reconnecting with the planet, with plants. Um, You know, early indications are that it was helping um, the ozone, that it's helping 
heal the oceans. You know, hopefully that can still continue as people get active. And don't just forget that lesson that, you know, that to me goes back to the Lakota elders too. You know, we're all one. We're all part of the web and we're all relations. So the plants are my relations. Like you said, you know, if it's a fox, that's your relation. And when you're trapping, you know, the same thing. The <laughs> animals are your relations. So, you know, honoring, thank you, mm-hmm. you know, for sustaining me, nourishing me. and Giving me this beautiful fur. Exactly. Yeah, you know? and, and not only are they your relations, they're also like a part of your soul. Right. Like I've had some experience with the hunting and the trapping that were like soul shaking. And it was very obvious one deer my first mm-hmm. antlered buck, it was very obvious that I shot a part of myself. Right. And um, I was depressed for like 24 mm-hmm. hours. And my plan was, I was just trying to get back, talk about the quarantine and slowing down. Right. It was the opposite of that. I was like, okay, well, I want this meat. It's the second deer of our season, but I, I'm spending so much time doing this. I just want to get back into my into my illustration work. Like I need right. to get refocused on my work. Right. So I was going to take that deer to get processed. You pay 75 bucks, someone else chops it up. Right. But I was so depressed for, as it was in the garage for like 36 hours. And I was like, no, 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 no. You have to always do all this work. And I went back in there. And as I was, did that whole ritual of breaking it down from, mm-hmm. uh, you know, now a corpse into right. bits of food, I felt like I was retrieving a part of my soul that had right. gone out with the gun. Right. And I was retrieving it back. Right. And I was like, okay, well, now I know I can never pay to get this, to, to have right. this part done. That, that's, I have to do all of this stuff that's for my the soul. connection. Right, right. And, and in, in just because I am, you know, a freelancer and I do have more time than, than most folks, I, it's going to be part of my respect towards this process. Right, that's great. And that's a gift. You know, that's, that's getting back to, I don't know if you have any Native ancestry. I don't believe so. All my folks are... are you know, all my mom's side, they're still in Europe. They're Belgians, and my dad lives in England, well, and they're all over there, too. that's not, I mean, you know, Native American here could be Sami hmm. in Upper North, you know, Norwegian. Oh, yeah, all. yeah. I haven't, I, mean, I haven't figured out who, who yeah, where yeah. we are when right, we go back. Right, But I don't know if it's yeah. Celtic or if— uh, Right, I, and I haven't figured so that out all— yet. All of the, um, some people don't like the word indigenous, but naturalized. Um, well, I didn't realize that I, was a word, a weird word. For some word. people it is. I, that's, that's the next best word I know to use. Mm. Anyone who has lived in connection with the earth, whether it's um, Celtic roots, Native American, um, you know, South America, there's everyone has established that earth walk or that hmm. beauty with the earth. and Earth walker, um, I like that. In, in when I first, well, probably my second trip to the Black Hills in South Dakota, that to me is a very sacred space. And to the Lakota, that is very much, somebody described it as um, Catholics have the Vatican mm. and um, uh, Jewish people have Israel, mm. and the Black Hills of South Dakota have always been the Lakota sacred lands, holy lands. Wow. And that spirit that's there, it's its a power and a spirit in the hills. And one gentleman used the term, even the Lakota term, within. So if you go hike, 
you're standing within the Black Hills. Mm. And to the average person, that means I'm surrounded by forest and mountains and whatever. So the focus is still you, in a sense. In a setting. Right. You know, you're inside surrounded by the plants and trees and whatever. Mm. Well, Lakota, the within, so if you're within something, you're not only standing within that area. Like if you say, I'm, I'm within the area that um, I live on. Well, that means everything that's around you. It's all sentient, mm. you know, so that can be the mountains, the trees, the the grass or the prairie, the forest, um, all of that has spirit. You know, water has spirit. The stones have spirit. There's a, I think a hawk swarming above us right now. I think I saw it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I saw it over there before. <laughs> That's great. Um, so, yeah, hawk. Thank you, brother hawk. You know, he's within within us too. And so that's, that's, um, so, but it's also the below, you know, things that are, are below ground that we don't see. So it could be the elves, the fairies, hmm. the hmm. elementals, and above can be ancestors, guides, guardians, hmm. spirit. So it's, it's all part of being within something. It's not just a physical Yeah, what I setting. was feeling and you saying that and i'd never really thought about that before is that you're like in the body of god so right. if you're in a right. sacred place right exactly and yeah. wow yeah and uh and i know i from hey, my hey sapa hey sapa is what their name for the black hills the black hills were just called the black hills because the trees from a distance are so thick that they look black mm. on the hills but then there's other um Areas in South Dakota, Bear, Bear Butte, or Ma, Mato, Paha, mm. Sapa. It's, it's sacred areas, and that I will share more with my plant story. Cause okay, do you want to get so, into it? Sure, um, since we're already talking about the Black Hills. Yeah, and, well, yeah. And, and from my basic reading, I, I'm pretty sure mm. the Black Hills, you know, just like everything else the settlers were doing, they were kind of uh, right. raping exactly. along the way of everything. But exactly. I believe that when the gold the gold yes. panners, when they were heading yes. the Black Hills, that that was like a cursed land to be doing Yeah, that. well, um, the Native Americans owned a, well, they don't use the term own. That's that's not even a word. Yeah. You don't have property of anything, right. you know. You don't own, own land or, but it was Native American lands traditionally, and white men, you know, through treaties and divisions and whittled down the area that all of the Cheyenne, the Lakota, um, their ancestral lands that mm-hmm. they had lived on and hunted on. Mm-hmm. And um, so part of that, yeah, the, the gold, you know, so it's like, oh, we need the gold. We're going to mine the hills. And... Um, you know, we're going to exterminate buffalo because we believe that's a way to end a life of a people. Yeah, I've heard and, that. You're right. Mm-hmm. And so by taking and taking and taking, um, those lands were getting dwindled. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, that's when um, the Lakota Sitting Bull and Red Cloud and also um, Geronimo, you know, decided 
to be the early founding father activists. Mm. And, okay, we're, we don't want to whittle our lands away. This is our sacred area. And actually, I don't know how recent that was, but NASA, when they went up above and took a picture of the Black Hills, the Black of South Dakota, the actual geography of the land is heart-shaped. It's a heart. So that is the heart of the Lakota people. Fascinating. In um, 2012, it was in July, and there is a entity body called the 13 Indigenous Grandmothers Council, and they are grandmothers who are from all over the globe. Uh, there are some from Tibet, some from Brazil, the Amazon rainforest. Um, where else? Um, there's a, a Maori grandmother from New Zealand, I believe, and so and and one from Alaska, and we have several Native American ones from the United States. But all the grandmothers' council get together periodically. At that time, they're all older now, so they don't travel around as much. But there was a grandmother's gathering in Lame Deer, Montana. And at that time, didn't know why, but I felt we just, we needed to go there. So a friend and I made that journey. And I told her, um, when we were done with the gathering, I took herbs along and I wanted to do herbal offerings at the sites that are important to the Lakota, to my to honor my ancestry and to honor the land for everything it's held. And so we went to the gathering, the gathering that year in Lame Deer, and they usually pick a theme for each gathering, and that one was intergenerational trauma. And so they had speakers, and the grandmothers always do ceremony in their native language and their native regalia or dress, and there's a ceremonial fire that burns that whole weekend. And so besides speakers, there's other things that go on. The grandmother, um, I believe it's the one from Nepal, did a, a ceremony. And quite a few people get extremely affected by that energy and that healing that goes on that weekend. And so during the course of talking about intergenerational trauma and everything that the Native Americans, the Cheyenne, have gone through, and the Lakota in that area, after about three days, and they do a wonderful um, bison feast for the people who are attending, and native um, dishes and things like that, too. But after three days of participating in ceremony and prayers and smudging and sage and just all kinds of wonderful activities that were going on. Uh, a young woman, there was a gentleman there who was working with individuals on generational trauma because some people in attendance had ancestors that in several of the areas around there had been, um, one I remember she said she and her little brother went to the hills to hide because the cavalry came in and slaughtered their horses and burned their village and you know so there's a lot of, of hurt that's still there it's very deep 
after the third day at this gathering, um, one of the gentlemen who was speaking, and he brought a woman forward and he said, I want to let you know that I have um, spoken to her enough and I have authenticated who she is. And she was probably about 30, early 30s at that time. And the woman who came forward is General Custer's great, 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 great niece. And her name is Alicia Custer. And she it took a lot of, of, of guts on her part. I mean, a very strong woman. She came forward in the ring surrounded by 400-some women and men, but also the na native women and men. And um, she wanted to apologize. And that... Uh, it still touches my heart. That was very profound because no one had ever apologized to them for the viciousness and the hurt and basically, you know, trying to eradicate a population of people. The 7th Calvary under Custer um, did incredible damage. And for her to come forward... And she said, I, I want to apologize for everything that was done. And one of the Cheyenne women came forward at the same time, and they embraced and hugged each other. And to everyone, the ripple of that across time is just incredible. That's incredible energy for that healing to happen. And... After that weekend, I ended up, you know, I wanted to go through some sites on the way back, but we went to um, Greasy Grass is what the area is actually called. They, everybody knows it as Little Bighorn. Basically, um, General Custer, 7th Cavalry, and Reno was one of the other. Um, there were Lakota and Cheyenne encampments. And, you know, when you read it in a book, you think, how would the Calvary hunt for days and, and not know where they were? You think, if it's here on the prairie, you would be able to see somebody right away. Oh, there's a village over there. When you see Little Bighorn, you realize how large an area it is. And there are huge hills that it would be very easy to camp on the side of. And somebody could ride for days if they didn't come over that hill, you would never be seen. And the Little Bighorn River runs through there. So natives, again, you know, wanted to be in defiance of whittling away their land for settlers, for gold, for development, um, for ranching. You know, they saw, and Custer had been promoting all the possibilities. You know, this is wasted space to, to him. And... So that particular day, he reportedly was supposed to wait for backup, but from all of my understanding, he was very uh, egocentric. He felt like he could take this all on with, with General or, uh, Reno, and they were coming in from two different areas, and they had no idea the amount of um, Native Americans that were there at that time. And so 
And subsequently, it was a great battle, and quite a few Native Americans have died also. Um, they have a memorial to the Native Americans who, who died there. They also have uh, Custer's not buried there. They took his body to West Point. But um, they do have, you know, memorials to the soldiers. But that really, it wasn't my interest in going there one, one way or the other. Um, my interest in going, and again, the history books call it Little Bighorn, and the Native Americans called the area greasy grass because the grass that grows by the river is kind of greasy looking. So it was always greasy grass. Um, when I went there, my main goal was to take some herbs to burn and offer as healing to that land because any trauma that happens on a land is held by the land, by the plants, by the trees, by the animals, and that needs healing too. And so my offering, my honoring was to um, burn or offer those plants to that area. Um, and then hopefully uh, things like comfrey, comfrey heals fract physical fractures for people, but it can also heal fractures in spirit and there's a lot of fractured spirits that are still out there across generations. And that kind of trauma, that weekend, we learned that that is trapped in your DNA. So if your great-grandmother or grandmother had been alive at that time and had suffered, um, you know, burning of a village or killing, uh, rounding up a child like uh, it was a calf and dragging it with a rope, uh, things like that, atrocities. And that is still being carried in the DNA. And that gets carried in the DNA that you pass on to your children as well. So wanting to heal that generational trauma, intergenerational, with people. But for me, the land's holding that. And the spirits of the land, the, like I said, the, the elementals that are on that land. So part of wanting to offer comfrey, comfrey helps heal that wounding of land when something like that has happened. And then I offered um, my own white sage that I had grown and some lavender and I can't remember at the time what else, I, tobacco probably. And I know there were some things I put in there as an offering. We were told, you know, and we went ahead and drove all the property to, to see the whole area. And when we went in, um, one of the rangers had told us there is a herd of wild mustangs in Little Bighorn Valley. But most people, they said, you, you probably won't see them because they stay way, way out and they don't come near the roads or near the people. So we, we drove and we went to the Native American site and did a little um, Lakota singing there in honor. And on the way out, all of a sudden, it's like we start seeing horse manure on the road. And out of, I'm seeing it out of nowhere. I mean, they were really were not there and then they were there. The herd of Mustangs surrounded us and we had to stop the car 
and we just let them we were among them i mean they they were totally around us grazing for a while they had new um colts foals and the mother you know mares kind of put themselves between them so that there would be no injury to them for what you know just being protective and uh, my friend slowly got out of the vehicle and she's a photographer so she got her camera out and they all just kind of stood one came so close to her if she would have put her hand out she could have touched its muzzle that was an incredible gift and they were there walked around us and then you know in in one flick they were off into the hills again So beautiful. And the Shankawakan people. That's so beautiful. I love that so much. Thank you for uh, sharing that. You're welcome. We were... um, also what they called the Shunkawakan Owate, the horse people. Mm. And you will still see horses. Um, there's ceremonial painting before you go to a hunt, before you go to uh, battle and things like that. But um, so Grandfather Lloyd had horses and taught us a little, uh, if you imagine uh, riding the horse, you know, mm-hmm. the up and down the undulating being in a saddle mm-hmm. and I wanted to go back to you talking about how the land will like because that story was talking about one um, our intergenerational right. human trauma right and then you also were mentioning the land holds the trauma right I found what popped up for me is a few Christmases ago my little sister and I well no mm-hmm. it's probably like seven years now but we went to I was just kind of more into ghost stuff but we sure. went to um, well I grew up in Northern Virginia. Okay. So about mm-hmm. 45 minutes away, there's the Manassas battlefields, right. Right. which were huge Civil War battles. Exactly. And um, I was like, let's go one evening around Christmas. And so we went and it was it was misty and it was really dim. Right. And I like wanted a ghost experience. And, you know, we look into this one old house that's still there. That was a farmhouse where they would, mm-hmm. uh, where they would, treat the injured man sure, and right. there's supposedly a ghost legend in there and i'm looking in the windows kind of asking for hey are you in there nothing's happening right go up on top of the the fields where they have cannons that are still there mm-hmm. and uh then we we went on this back walk in the woods and now it's starting to get pretty dark and we got to this little bridge and um supposedly there's another soldier that sometimes people have experiences with over Mm. on that bridge. And, Mm -hmm. you know, again, I kind of try to ask for it in kind of an ego fun way. Like, oh, I'd love for something to happen. And nothing happens. And um, we start walking out of that little, it's basically a creek, a creek, a wooded creek with fields on either side. And we leave that creek Mm -hmm. and now it's starting to get really dim. And we're walking through this field and I'm with my little sister and, um, all of a sudden, we start hearing like, oh. 
I'm just like, Mario, we're both Pisces and we, and we're both like open to stuff, I think. Right. And I just say, do you hear that noise? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, what does that sound like? She's like, it sounds like drums. Right. Like a, like a war drum. Right. Right. And this, Marching. and yeah. uh, this mist started coming up off of this dark field mm-hmm. and it like rose up like, um, it rose up like a beam of light and was heading up right. and then it retreated as if a retreat into the woods. Oh, wow. And um, as my sister and I walked into the field, this hawk flew over our heads and then it was like, bam, my sister turns around with this face, this like, <laughs> this face of like horror, like in Munch's painting of like, the scream. What and was my, that? <laughs> yeah. And my sister was like, something is, something is like, like choking me. And then oh my I felt like my back was being pushed on. And we both just like had a moment, like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah. And we're both just breathing, like, oh, everything okay, everything. And it, the right. feeling slowly went away. And we were just like, holy smokes. And then we, we walked out of there and we were just feeling um, this immense sorrow for um, the retreat of these people. And we found right. out when we looked up, it was one of the armies was retreating there and they oh. had got really wiped out hard. Oh, wow. So it did seem like in a similar sense, we were picking up on some kind of trauma or intense emotion that had been absorbed into Absolutely. the land. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was an incredible experience. Um, changing gears a little bit. Sure. I don't want to let it escape that um, you're a trained psychologist. Correct. So you have masters, this, master's level clinician. Okay, right. master's level clinician. So you have this, mm-hmm. you know, we've heard about your you have a really deep connection to the to plants and nature. Correct. You've got this really deep connection to your ancestry. Right. So um, psychology. How does that work in? Because I love hearing <laughs> psychologists talk. Yeah. I love thinking about why humans do what they do. How do you? How does your psychology, yeah, your, your knowledge that, of psychology, come into a lot of this other uh, stuff? Where, where did it come from? Um, my dad, like I said, growing up, my dad was a pharmacist. I actually, you haven't said that on the podcast. Okay, my dad was a what I call an old school pharmacist. So he, there weren't any over the counter or anything. You didn't go to the store and pick up whatever. So. Um, over 50 years, what he did was if somebody needed cough syrup, he put the ingredients together and made cough syrup. And if somebody came in the next person, I need to shine my shoes, make shoe polish. Um, so it wasn't just all physically internal healing either, but he made suppositories or he made throat lozenges. So um, cool. Everything. You know, because that's what pharmacists did. You went there if you needed bug spray, if you needed whatever, that's where you went, to the pharmacy. Um, And that's, you know, um, today... Just to go back really quick. Sure. Even in that, I'm connecting to how you're talking about being empowered and not empowered. It's like that version of a pharmacist, very empowering. Right. You're creating the concoctions. Exactly. And then today, what do you do? You just go up to a person and and they just grab something from a shelf that's a white colored pill. Or you count pills out. Right. And so my initial learning of some of the plants was from my dad. If I got an upset stomach when I was little, let's go out. We'll go pick some peppermint and we'll come in and we'll make some tea. Um, And he would show me, you know, Lily of the Valley, don't touch that. You're little. Um, Or Digitalis, Foxglove, we make Digitalis, a heart medicine from. But even, uh, you know, a a pinky nails amount of Lily of the Valley can cause your heart to race really quickly. Mm. So when you're a little kid, Mm. don't mess with that one. Mm. (laughs) Um, 
So I learned a lot about plants from him. And that's when pharmacy was also tied to the plants. You knew what plants you derived what medicine or healing from. Now I've had uh, a pharmacy student that's come to herbal classes because they only know... It's a hawk again. Hmm. Um, they only know the chemical form. They know mm-hmm. the drug. They don't know where that traditionally came from. Mm. So that's been lost too, which is really sad. Um, and there is a medicinal plant garden at Lawrence on the University of Kansas is one of the pharmacy mm. schools. And it's nice that they've gotten back to let's show them the plants. Well, how incredible that this student exactly. is coming to you. Exactly. Because that is like, that's, right. this, that's powerful that's, and in it's itself. great. Yeah. It's like, let's, let's get you connected so that you know what originally comes from what. Um, but so my dad, you know, was of that era where you made everything. So when he's grinding with the mortar and pestle and making things or making a salve to put on somebody's um, wound or injury, or and that's much more what I do today. Hmm. So long time ago, I wanted to be a pharmacist when okay. I got old enough. Sure. I was going to go to school. I was going to go into pharmacy because I loved it. And my father at that time, you know, this was the 80s when I was getting ready to go to college. And he said, it's, it's not going to be that way when you get there. It's already heading toward larger scale, not mom and pop, you know, local little pharmacies. Because we used to have little pharmacies in individual neighborhoods. There's a subway now over a block over on the corner and that at one time used to be a little pharmacy and there used to be corner stores like we have quick shops now but there used to be or convenience stores there used to be little corner stores as well but at his time in the 80s even sensing then it's getting to a point where someday there's going to be a machine and it's going to count out 25 pills and put them in a bottle and a pharmacy tech is going to do the labeling and all you have to make sure is that the right pills in there and the right count or whatever and that's not what you like about it. So at that time, in college, I started taking psychology classes, abnormal psych and, you know, I was more interested, didn't want to really be a doctor um, medical doctor or nurse or anything like that. And so for me, it was like learning how the mind works and how people can hurt emotionally and psychologically. And that is the same kind of ache and healing that needs to be worked on other than physical healing. Because there are times when I um, worked at a physical rehab hospital and would counsel persons who were going through various kinds of illnesses or what I call dis-ease in the body. And, you know, it might be that it was orthopedic. My my Jungian therapist says that a lot. Right. Dis-ease. Right. And what does dis mean again? Is it 
anti it's, or something? Yeah, it would be like saying unease. Or, unease, okay. Or where I view it as... Um, I think... Your self-identity, even, it's it's like there's a hole there somewhere. And I think my... Wounded, my, wounded for some reason. I think my analyst has mentioned that Dis is also an, an underworld god, I think. I'm not quite mm, sure. I that Dis I'm was another sure name Dis. for... I can't, mm. I, I, uh, don't call me on that or one. Or like H-E-L, heel, hell. Mm. Because mm. hell was not Satan, you know? It wasn't mm. the, the Christian view that it is now. But um, but wanting to help people who were wounded, because even working in the rehab setting, you know, someone might come in with, um, you know, even needing a hip replacement, something pretty common, not... Later, when I work traumatic brain injury, that affects all aspects of your world. But even a broken hip, that level of vulnerability and dependence for someone who has never had to be that way, who's never, I've taken care of myself, I relied on myself, I haven't needed anybody. And suddenly, they're in a rehab hospital getting rehab for um, a hip replacement. Very much dependent on assistance, going through physical therapy and and what have you. But that triggers having any kind of illness or a body that isn't completely able triggers other things in people. So it might trigger, um, even, even as far back as well, when I was a child and I was vulnerable and... Um, my dad was alcoholic, and I had to be able to run to get away so I didn't get hurt. And, I mean, it's it's amazing what the psyche does with putting someone right back years ago oh, yeah. by being in the hospital. And, you know, I had— Was um, that—that's your experience, or you're making an example? An example okay. of, of, like, a client that yes. I might have to yes. work with. and Or I would get a call— there was a woman one day who was down in, we had um, pool therapy, hot, hot, warm pool okay. that they could exercise in. Okay. And they would go in, you know, three or four, um, I don't like to call them patients, cl- uh, you know, yeah. clients mm-hmm. at the rehab hospital. And they would go down for pool therapy. Well, one day, the physical therapist wanted to take some measurements on mobility and and your uh, range of motion and issues like that. Well, he didn't think anything about about it. And, you know, a couple of people got out of the pool and, well, you know, move your arms now and I'll check your range of motion because they want to show the benefit of warm water therapy and taking weight off joints and, and working with the water exercise. So, no problem, did that with several people, and they got dressed, and they get ready to leave. Well, he was getting ready to do this with another patient, client, and she totally um, had a meltdown, you know. She's just screaming, and she was in the corner in a fetal position, rocking, and I got called, hey, you need to come down here quick, something's going on, and... I told him, you know, the therapist, I was like, okay, just just leave, you know, so I can talk to her and, you know, and what's going on, you know. He, um, it triggered some earlier abuse issues for mm-hmm. her to be in a bathing suit, mm-hmm. get out of the water, 
and have a male therapist. And even though he's a great guy and he's just doing his job, but they're not trained to recognize past or current issues mm-hmm. with people. An and archetypal pattern kind of popping it, up. Yeah. An archetypal you situation. Know, for her, it's like he wanted me to get out of the water and then he wanted to you know, put his hands on me and measure me. And and that may not affect, like I said, there's three other people. Mm-hmm. It was not a big deal for mm-hmm. but for her, it was. Right. And a lot of the pain patients that I worked with have prior wounding in whatever sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I There was a, a woman that had been through Nazi Germany, and she mm. still had her tattoo. Holy shit. And it's like a, the, you mean like a number? Yeah. Like concentration camp? Yeah, exactly. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Fucking hell. And she, she wore, tried to laser it. She wore a lot of long sleeve shirts and but some of her physical pain and not that physical pain isn't real, but there are things that can severely contribute toward um keeping that going. And sometimes there's a uh, Carolyn Mace has written a lot on why some people can't heal and where what's trapped where. And so I definitely her, believe that for sure yeah. that there are psych- like psychological issues can get trapped in different parts of your body right. and create or it comes out somewhere ailments. else. I mean, even something simple. If I had someone in my office and they're telling you, what would you think if somebody came and said, "Well, I have ulcers," you know, I I think I have ulcers, and every word they're describing is things like, uh, you know, I've got work issues. I'm tired of my boss. I've had it up to here. I can't swallow it anymore. Mm. You know, it really burns me when mm. blah, blah, blah happens. And, you know, and well, that makes sense that you're having 100%. digestive issues. And they're making, they're they're even giving you right. the symbolic language. Right. You don't have to be, it's like, I'm not psychic. You know, if somebody An ulcer is acid burning through the stomach lining? Right. Is that what that is? Right. Okay. It's just, he's right. You know, it it burns me. I can't swallow anymore. Yeah, you're making this, because people obviously can't see. When you're saying, I've had it up to here, you're making this gesture up to your stomach. You know, or, and and sometimes people would do that. You know, if um, something like, well, I need to be able to stand on my own two feet. Um, I don't feel supported. I don't. Mm blah, 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 and then you find out they're having lower back issues or mm. they're having mm. um, some numbness in the leg. And like I said, it's not to say that that's not real, mm-hmm. but the body kind of brings things out in other ways mm-hmm. to look at. And so a lot of times that's what we had to end up doing. And there was one woman, for instance, I worked with who um, was having a lot of pelvic issues. And through weeks of working with her in group therapy and individual, um, for her, she had lost a child. She was probably in her late 60s, early 70s when I saw her. She had lost a child when she was probably late 20s. And her husband felt like it was best to just push it aside like that never happened it's over we're just Mm -hmm. going on from here Mm -hmm. so he he took the baby that had died Mm -hmm. stillborn Mm -hmm. and he didn't allow her to see it Mm -hmm. grieve it Mm -hmm. anything he took it put it in a box 
and took it out on the land where they were on the farm and buried it. Oh, and they mm. were she was never to speak of it, mm-hmm. never to to discuss it, nothing. And so, and she really hadn't even thought about that for years. And you know, in and dealing with some pelvic pain and um, other kind of, I can't remember you know now all the issues that she was having. But in talking with her over time and over time and over time, and, you know, she got to a point where um, she said, you know, I've, I never, I, something happened years ago. You know, it's sort of like a puzzle. You just keep of course. talking to them about their pain mm-hmm. and how long they've had it and what's, what's limiting about it and what that experience has been like and over-empathizing and counseling for long periods of time, you know, that's the day that she was able to say that this event had happened. Um, That's a real breakthrough for her to help her healing Mm -hmm. and processing. And then we did some guided imagery to grieve a child that she was never allowed to grieve. Mm. And we did some other different techniques. And being able to process and she said I've never even been able to talk to another person hmm. about this yeah this is huge yeah so can you imagine carrying it's like a ghost that, in her womb right carrying that your mm-hmm. whole life and not being able to grieve that mm-hmm. and just holding that in mm-hmm. and so that was that was big for her and that was a very brave step and for me in in our wise woman healing tradition, we're like just a vehicle. We're we're a bridge to facilitate someone's crossing um, transformation. It's not that we do it to them. They mm-hmm. they do the work, and we're kind of like um, the vehicle that just trans transports them to be willing and able to receive that and do it. So we're that- not we're not the healer. Yeah, my Jungian analyst, that's kind of how he right. said it to me. I'm just a right. Sherpa to help you get up the mountain. Exactly. It's like, it's on you, you know, to, exactly. to individuate. In, in Jungian terms, individuate just right. means to reach wholeness, which right. is a lifelong pursuit and you probably right. never reach it. But it just means to be the sure. fully yourself. Right. And obviously part of that is going to be going right. back into the past, finding those ghosts and uh, right. pains and things that are stuck inside of you and exactly um, transitioning that. Exactly. So that's, you know, why I went into psychology was to help facilitate that. Um, and then eventually, kind of the same thing you get into, I had when I was working with TBI, traumatic brain injury, a lot of people knew that I was learning and going to conferences on um, botanical medicine mm. and herbs and doing my own. And so then when I come back, they'd be like, well, what about, I've, I've read Ginkgo's Good for the Brain. You know, mm. what, what can you tell me about that? Or is there anything else I could be taking to help my cognitive development, you know, to help me remember things? Or, Well, at that time, that's beyond the scope of practice as the psychologist. You can't. Oh, you're you not allowed go. to do that. No, you're not allowed to go. So, um, and then you get tied up in insurance and, mm. um, you know, saying that someone who's had their whole life adjusted and altered and maybe their finances have been impacted, their living situation, their um, 
relationship may be even falling apart. It's just, I mean, it's just like pulling the rug out from under somebody. And some insurance company saying, well, they can have four sessions, mm. you know. So um, at a certain point in time. I mean, the insurance company only pay for four right, sessions. Right. Which is ridiculous because yeah. it's, a, it's a years or a lifelong. Right. Or at least, mm-hmm. you know, come on, give us a month or so mm-hmm. and and then we can go to outpatient or, mm-hmm. or whatever's needed. But sometimes, you know, they would even say things like, well, they need nursing. They don't, they need physical therapy. They don't need occupational and you explain to them what well, occupational therapy with head injury is helping them learn to function in society again, mm. to be able to go to the grocery store and be able to shop without getting overwhelmed, to make a list, sometimes to learn how to use the bus system or whatever, to say, well, they don't need that part. It, it doesn't make any sense. So insurance, you know, oh, <laughs> insurance yeah. is so frustrating. Yes. Um, so then, you know, I started camping and getting back to plants and listening to the plants. And um, like I tell people, my first, you know, three plants camping and really spending time with them and saying, you have to mean it. If you ever say to a plant, what can I do in return for the healing that you're giving? And, you know, I'm going to make medicine with you and, and help other people with that. What can I do in return? Sometimes I've had people say, the plant will say, um, go pick up some recycle around the lake and, you know, turn that in or go do this or, well, you know, it, it'd be nice if you'd um, do something like build a little garden or something relatively, what I say, relatively simple. Um, when I sat with those first three plants and then said, you know, I'm going to make medicine with you and, and help people, and what can I do in return? That's when the plants told me, you have to be our voice. You have to teach. Mm. And at that time, I was like, I have to teach? And, you know, this is like early 2000s, and I'm thinking, uh, I'm not Rosemary Gladstar. Mm-hmm. I'm not Susan Weed, who's teaching. I'm not mm-hmm. Matthew Wood. You know, I'm not these big name herbalists and you know it's it's kind of like but they're not here you're here mm-hmm. they can't be everywhere i mean that's how i even felt with this podcast i got kind of called to it and then sent weeks like tortured not able to sleep like <laughs> i'm an idiot what the hell do i know <laughs> like what do i have to say I, i'm a novice at everything we're talking about i'm a novice at so why the hell would i have a podcast i can't i'm not an educator I, you know, I have a hard time memorizing anything, remembering things. So who the hell am I? And yet something has called you, you to do it. You're something you. has ma- called you to do it. You're you. And that's what, if you have, it's, it's when people say they have a gut feeling, mm-hmm. it, it is a gut feeling. You have molecules for emotion in your whole body. And if you, you listen to your heart mm-hmm. and your heart calls to you or your gut tells you, or you have a gut feeling, mm-hmm. even if it's to... You know, I'm on my way to somewhere, but something tells me to turn down this dirt road for a minute. You know, maybe do take the time to do that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's my thing is nobody on this planet is you. And to me, we were talking, you know, prior to podcasting about how people get discouraged 
from following their passion or their path mm -hmm. because you get locked into, oh, but you can't make money being an artist. Mm -hmm. Or, well, herbalists don't make a lot of money. That's kind of that's kind of foo-foo, you know, sitting with plants and tuning in and making remedies or whatever. Um, and who am I to, to teach or, or speak for plants? I don't, I don't have any special gifts. I don't see auras. I don't, mm -hmm. you know, I hear in my head things to do kind of like you you know you hear hey we should we should do this and the thing is to not silence that don't let limitations get in the way of that and like i said you know a lot of people spend time searching for a guru mm -hmm. you know they're looking for oh i need to go study with so and so and then i need to go study with so and so and you know spend all this time out, and it's okay to learn. I mean, I've, I've done my own learning, but at some point... You don't want to project the enlightened or the, the demigod on another individual. Right. This, the point is to find that guru in yourself. Exactly. And to not become possessed by what a guru can exactly. be, which can, can be the cult leader. Right. You're putting someone on a pedestal, and even herb, te herb teachers are just people. You know, a lot of people get intimidated by well-known, you know, book authors or they're just people. And everyone has their message to share. Mm. And sometimes people can hear you and not someone else. Mm. Or you can write a book and it may really click and resonate for someone. Mm -hmm. But their book may not. And... I tell people my, my thing that I don't know where I heard it the first time was guru is G-U-R-U. -U. So was that G. G, you are you. Right. You know, so you're, you're spelling the word guru, but very few people know that's, that's within. That's within me. You know, I have that ability. And that's part of the whole herbal approach is empowering that back into people, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's working with plants or, or working with their spirit and healing, um, you I know, so yeah. All right. Well, we've been having a really long conversation. We have. I think we could wrap it up. Is there anything you wanted to pitch? I mean, obviously you got your website. And sure. You, you yeah. The, um, Mother Earth News Network, we had six podcasts before COVID. So we're hoping to get going again here. And that's called Heirlooms and Herbals on the Mother Earth News Network. And my website is www.prairiemagicherbals.com. And I'm Prairie Magic Herbals on Facebook. And on there, I keep people posted on plants and recipes and uh, what's blooming. And um, I'm used to teaching in person. I like to do that because they can see the plants and be right here and connect with them. But in a couple of weeks, I'm going to look at starting to do some online. Okay, cool. So if anybody across the nation listening is interested in learning more, um, connect with me. Uh, you can either Gmail me. That's prairiemagic at gmail.com. Or you can go on Facebook or my website and connect with me like uh, you did. So All right, Joanne. This has been... A pleasure. You're a remarkable human being. Oh, I love this. You. This it has been super cool. Great to meet cool. you. Great Likewise. to meet you. All righty.